It's the Real Faith for Real Life podcast, and today we're beginning a series through the book of Hebrews. Challenging book, but also such a rewarding book. Yeah, you know it. Plus, we'll check in with current events to see how real faith intersects with real life. Today, self-checkout is in the news, and it's on the rise. Plus, researchers have found the best way to track inflation, and it's a Big Mac. (laughs) All that and more is straight ahead today. This is Real Faith for Real Life, a podcast from Cascade Fellowship in Grand Rapids, Michigan. All right, Bill, so faith affects all of life. So we like to start by quickly checking in with the headlines to see what's going on in the world today. First up is in the news, something about the self-checkout aisle. Can you tell us a little bit more? Yeah, a new study found that 30% of grocery store transactions today are on self-checkout aisles. And that's compared to 18% pre-pandemic, so... Definitely on the rise. Have you noticed this? I mean, I like the self-checkout lane. <laughs> I have to admit, I do too. Yeah. It's kind of like so much fun to just get that satisfying beep. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, some stores are even progressing toward all self-checkout, like no cashiers at all. Uh, Walmart, Kroger, Dollar General, and Albertsons, among others. Um, the article I read said the machines, they cost like 14000 to 40000 a piece, but... Over time, of course, they're going to save the company money as they cut payroll. So, yeah, what do you think? I mean, I, I, like I said, I don't mind it, but it is challenging when you have enormous orders and you're getting that error, you know, unexpected item in bagging and the light starts blinking and then you have the person come over and they shame you for like not using the system, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Somebody always has to like confirm what you're buying, I feel like. so. I feel a little funny about people maybe losing their job, but it is so convenient. Now, remind me, I think I just saw that you were uh, at a place where there was an Amazon Go store. Yeah, yeah. And so you didn't even have to really even scan the checkout. You didn't hear the satisfying beep. You just walked out. Tell me about that. That's their slogan at Amazon Go. You just walk out. So you check in either with your Amazon app or whatever, and the technology follows you around the store with all these sensors and cameras. It tells what you pick up, it tells what you put back, and by the time you walk out, you just have it charged to your Amazon account. So I thought it was pretty cool. It's a little gimmicky, but maybe that's the future. Yeah. And really, you know, with faith intersecting life, the the only theological question I see here is like, are we being replaced by robots? Like, (laughs) isn't work part of dignity and meaning in life? And just because robots can do more and more of the things that we also can do man what what does that leave us to do it's it's going to be a wild uh, chapter in history we're about to enter into isn't it yeah it's going to be a little bit crazy i i remember watching shark tank a while back and mark cuban said the future is all about cameras and sensors and i'm like what's Ooh. this guy talking about but this is it right yeah. things are just kind of starting to become self-sufficient on their own and yeah. Um, although it feels good for the checkout line, it doesn't feel good when we don't have a job. It can, Yeah, and the cameras and the sensors everywhere, that can progress pretty quickly to something that's pretty creepy. Invasive, so, yeah. Something yeah. to keep an eye on. Yeah, all right. So next up in the news is inflation. We're all dealing with it, right? We all feel it. But how bad is it? All right. Economists have various ways of measuring this inflation, and it includes something called the Big Mac <laughs> Index. 
Bill, I haven't heard much about this one. Explain it a little bit. So the Economist has been tracking Big Mac prices since 1986. It's kind of a lighthearted guide to help people understand how much purchasing power their money has. And ironically, the Big Mac index has actually become a global standard included in several economic textbooks and the subject of several academic studies. So, uh, Eric, what do you think about this? Are you a Big Mac guy? You I, don't look like a Big Mac guy to me. I mean, I don't go out of my way to get a Big Mac, <laughs> but I do enjoy them when I when I pick them up. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I get about one a year. Okay. I can deal with one Whopper a year and one Big Mac a year. But it is interesting to see the price of these common items fluctuate. It does make inflation and currency, you know, the value of the dollar changing with uh, regard to other currencies. It makes it more concrete. And I guess it is helpful. It's sort of like as a preacher, I'm constantly looking for ways to make things concrete and understandable. And yeah, prices are up. I mean, when Jess and I, my wife and I, we go through the drive-thru at, you know, Wendy's or other places, we're like, wow, we used to be able to <laughs> eat at a steakhouse for what, you know, a couple burgers are costing us. Yeah. And maybe that makes us just old and crotchety, <laughs> you know, turning into the classic old person in my day. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, but it's true. It's it's wild, isn't it? It is a little bit crazy. I mean, there's two ways you can go about it. You can feel good about the inflation price because you know you're still getting that Whopper. Or they could keep the price the same and you don't know what your meat is made out of. <laughs> and that could be a little scary, yeah, right? So, that's what shrinkflation. Yeah. They charge the same, but they give less quality or less quantity. Okay. I, I would almost rather that. I don't know. Because portions are so big, too. Yeah. I had breakfast uh, this morning and I often leave half my stuff uneaten and it's just like, man. Yeah. All right. Portions. Are I could tone it down. I sound like such an old crotchety old man today. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, we've really we've really gone <laughs> off the rails now. Uh, thanks everybody for sticking with us, and you know we do believe real faith intersects with real life. That's why we're always checking in with what's happening in the world and bringing our faith to bear on everything we encounter. And you know we also uh, we read the Bible uh, as students here at this church, uh, seriously studying it because we believe God speaks to us through it, and so we'd like to discuss that as well here on the podcast. We're about to begin a series I'm very, very excited about through the book of Hebrews. And we're going to open up to chapter one together and just begin a study about how Jesus is not just a great way to know God, but he is the greatest way of knowing God. So, are you ready? Let's go. All right, our study is going to start with the first three verses of Hebrews this week. Uh, So let's just begin by reading it together. Hebrews 1 verse 1 says this, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory in the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Now, right away, Bill, I'm I'm noticing a key word in the middle that will probably be essential for today's study. That word is but. Yeah, absolutely. We always pay close attention to words like but. They indicate a strong contrast. This book is all about contrasts. 
So in these three verses, the author is making a comparison and a contrast between two things. So there's a before time period with the prophets, that's before the but, and after the but, there's Jesus. And the comparison is one is far greater than the other. In this case, a far greater way of knowing God. Right, and so that that ends up being a great segue into talking about the theme of this book as a whole, right? I mean, we're doing a sermon series in church right now, and you've titled it Greater Than. Yeah, right, because I think those two words, greater than, help us understand the theme and the purpose of this book really, really well and make a difficult, challenging book really easy to understand. So always remember those two words, greater than, when you're reading Hebrews, because I think the author's purpose is to help his readers know that Jesus is greater than anything and everything. So he's greater than the prophets we'll talk about this week. Uh, Next week, we'll see he's greater than the angels. And after that, greater than Moses and Joshua, greater than Aaron and the priesthood, greater than the temple and the sacrificial system. Right. So why would people back then need to know this? And and why would we need to know this today? Or really, why should we bother studying this book? Yeah, great question. Uh, If you go back, rewind to the first century, the original audience, uh, they were in danger of falling away and turning away from Christianity. And I think people today are also in danger and tempted to fall away and walk away from church. Um, So back in the first century, they were falling away because they didn't recognize the uniqueness of Jesus. And I think the same is true today. Right. That helps us understand kind of the the big picture of this study as we kind of enter into Hebrews in the next eight weeks together. Um, Is there anything else that we should know about the big picture of this book before we keep going? I think it's just interesting the way it's structured. Um, You have these, these expositions of Old Testament scriptures proving that Jesus is their fulfillment, And then after that, you have these exhortations, these warnings, strongly worded warnings, telling people don't fall away. There's serious consequences. So it's like there are these two alternating things. You have many sermons, and then you have application. You have teaching and application and teaching and application. And uh, it's like he's presenting Christ, and then he's demanding a response Hmm. over and over and over in this little cycle that repeats itself. Uh, So it's almost like a bunch of mini-sermons, and that's why some people refer to the author, who's anonymous, by the way. We don't know who he is, but some people call him the preacher because he writes as if he's writing a sermon more than a letter. It's full of persuasive language and pastoral concern. I mean, it's still a letter, but it's sort of like it's a few sermons within a letter. And he even calls, in chapter 13, he calls what he has written a word of exhortation, the same word Paul uses Mm -hmm. for a sermon. So anyway, I say all that to say this. Uh, We need some help in reading and understanding this very difficult, complex book, and maybe it'll help you as you read to look for that structure so you don't get lost. Remember, the main point he's making is that Jesus is greater, and so he makes that point. He he exhorts and and then he applies. Mm-hmm. And so there's that back and forth structure. And that, that helps us to recognize that because this book gets really deep yeah. at times. Yeah, yeah. And so that first point that he makes, it, it really seems like simple enough, right? This week, it's just three verses mm-hmm. and one uh, point there. Jesus is greater than the prophets. Yeah, that's right. Let's Now that we know a little bit more about the book and its structure, let's reread those first just two verses. 
So in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. So let's this time look before and after the but, but with regard to the timeline. There's a difference in time before and after the but. There's a dividing line. Before the but is in the past. And after the but is in these last days. So there are two time periods we're discussing and talking about here. Uh, In the past is simple. It refers to everything that came before Jesus. And in these last days refers to everything that came after Jesus. So that's how the author of Hebrews divides history and understands the flow of history. It's pretty simple. Mm. Uh, There's this time before Jesus and there's this time after Jesus. And it's really important as we get going into this study to kind of look for that, that dividing point in history. So um, in the past, the time before Jesus, it's the Old Testament folks looking for and longing for this time when God would intervene, step into history, and set everything right. That's the past. People looking forward to the fulfillment of God's promises. It's the story of God reaching its climax. And the author of Hebrews is saying, we've arrived at that last chapter of history, the last days. And so last days, listen, it gets a bad rap today, like it's the the end times and there's you know, uh, left behind and there's weird monsters and dragons and marks of the beast and stuff. And mm. boy, we won't get into that. That's a whole nother podcast for a whole nother day. That's a really cool study though. Mm-hmm. And actually here at the church, we're offering a, a class about revelation. Right. So I advocate you go to that. But anyway, for our purposes today, last days, it just refers to the time period that we're in. Not necessarily the number of days, but we've been living in the last days since Jesus was here. Mm. Uh, and for the writers... The writer of Hebrews, then, it's just a simple way to view history. Before Christ and after Christ. should sound familiar. B.C. and A.D. Right. So, there are two different eras in history. And, you know, so in, in each, uh, there's, there's a way that God is speaking to us, right? That's kind of what you're saying? Yeah, that's the reason he's dividing history into these two parts, because God had a way of speaking in the past, and God has a way of speaking in these last days. There's that division. So in the first chapter of history, uh, the author of Hebrews says God spoke it many times and in various ways. So it's almost like a a loose translation would be piecemeal, like scattered bits and pieces, fragmentary. Um, But in this chapter of history, in the last days, the final chapter of history, God has spoken in a different way, a better way, by his son. Mm Mm-hmm. So, in in other words, God used to speak through intermediaries, but now he's shown up in person. And obviously, that is better. That's why Jesus is greater than the prophets. Yeah, so does this mean that the type of revelation from, like, in the past was not good or or not accurate in and of itself? Yeah, we have to be careful how we talk, right? It's just, it's not that it's inaccurate, it's just incomplete, Right, so it's beautiful, it's authoritative, but it's also fragmentary. Um, here's the way I like to think about it: the revelation of God it, it grew over time. So Genesis it gives us some beginning uh, sense of God's plan, mm. 
Exodus adds a little more truth to that. Truth builds on top of truth as the Old Testament goes on, and the picture of God's plan gets clearer and clearer. Over time, you get that clear picture. Um, so there's a theological word for this, a term. It's uh, fun to learn new terms, maybe. So here's a term for today. It's called progressive revelation. Uh, so it's not building on previous revelation by correcting error. No, not that. It's building on pre- previous revelation by becoming clearer. Over time, through progressive revelation, we're getting a clearer and clearer picture of what God is up to. Mm-hmm. And that clear picture is that all of it is pointing to fulfillment in something else, someone else, and that's Jesus. So Jesus himself understood this. He was building on and fulfilling the past, not replacing it. Uh, Matthew 5, he said, Don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So note the balance. He's not breaking from the Old Testament prophetic tradition or saying it's wrong. He is just saying it's incomplete, and it's pointing to something, and it's pointing to me, the Messiah. Right, yeah. So that brings us to verse 3, which tells us who Jesus is and why he is coming. Yeah, he's the fulfillment, uh, Hebrew says. Listen to how it describes Jesus. So we'll go through the second half of verse 2. This Jesus, he was appointed heir of all things, uh, and through whom also he made the universe. So this Jesus, who is he? He's the creator of everything. Verse 3 now, the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful words. So he's not only the creator, but he's the sustainer. And he had provided purification for sins. And after he did that, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So what do we learn about Jesus and all that? He's the creator and he's the sustainer of the universe. It was all created by him and for him. He sits on the throne. I mean, he is the Lord, the King, and he radiates the glory of God. Yeah, radiance is is like such a good word. I I love good descriptive words Mm. in the Bible. Um, And it reminds me of how God is pictured in the Old Testament, right? We think of Ezekiel and Daniel. They had visions of God as bright and glorious. Uh, And then Moses' encounter with God, right, where... uh, it left him shining, like his face mm. was glowing and shining, just from being in God's presence. Yeah, it's great imagery, and we carry that into the New Testament now uh, and see how Jesus is the one who's bright and glorious and shining. Think about Paul on the road to Damascus, being blinded by the great glory of Jesus. Think about the book of Revelation, right? And maybe most uh, most important for us to picture in our minds, the Mount of Transfiguration, So toward the end of the Gospels, toward the end of Jesus' journey, he goes up on the mountain and he appears beside Moses and Elijah, representing the Law and the Prophets. Uh, But note that he was the only one glowing. I never noticed that before, Mm. but now that I notice it, Moses wasn't radiating light. Elijah wasn't radiating light. Just like back in the Old Testament, Moses, if he's glowing, he's just reflecting the light. Mm -hmm. Jesus is the one who is the light, who is radiating light in and of himself. Mm, I love that. So even the greatest leaders from the Old Testament times, even the great Moses, even the great Elijah, they can't compare to Jesus. So it's clear that Jesus is God. And what better way is there to know God than for God himself to come and take on human flesh and to live among us? 
He's the exact representation, as Hebrews says. Yeah, and part of God revealing himself fully is what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And, and we can read that in verse 3, after he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. That's right. Yeah, I love this. Hebrews is saying Jesus isn't just the king of the universe. He's not just the greatest prophet, but he's also a priest. Mm-hmm. So see that? Prophet, priest, and king, all in one person. And the priesthood is the really key part, understanding what Jesus did on the cross. What was the cross all about? Why did Jesus die on a cross? A lot of people think a lot of different things nowadays. The author of Hebrews said it right here. The purpose was to provide purification from sins, to provide forgiveness for sins through his death on our behalf. And it gets really complicated if you're not familiar with the Old Testament you know, the, what the temple was, what the priests did, what the sacrifices were all about. But we're going to get into that later. This is like a little preview. This this verse 3 is like a little preview of a much larger explanation to come later, talking about Jesus being the fulfillment of the priesthood, greater than the priesthood. So he, he was a priest, in a sense, that accomplished what no other earthly priest ever could. And for that reason, the verse says he sat down. He was done. That once and forever sacrifice, it was made. It is finished. It's accomplished. Sin is forgiven fully and finally for all who trust in him. And so that's a great preview just to whet our appetite for things to come later in the study. Yeah, if we don't end somewhere, we'll be unpacking (laughs) for a long time here. So do you have any final words to uh, sum it all up? Yeah, I think for us, let's just remember the big picture. you know. And so one more quote for us today. This is Michael Kruger. Uh, talking about the big picture here. He says, Our author is showing all through the book how Jesus is superior to every possible thing you could put in his place. He's superior to the angels. He's superior to the prophets. He's superior to Moses, Aaron, and Joshua. His covenant is superior to the old covenant. This is the major theme of the book. Jesus is better. There's nothing grander, greater, more beautiful, more wonderful, more satisfying, or more extraordinary than him. So the application for them and for us, it's simple. Don't let anything take his place. Specifically this week, don't let anything take his place when it comes to how to know God best. Don't let anything or anyone else teach you who God is more than Jesus. Not a politician or a pundit on TV, not even a preacher, right? Jesus is the way to know God's character and who he is, and uh, his heart. So, don't fall away. Don't turn away. When you really understand who Jesus is, then you understand there's no alternative. There's no need to turn anywhere else. That's the book of Hebrews in a nutshell. Very good. Next week, we'll continue our study by looking at how Jesus is greater than the angels. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on that episode or any of the episodes that are coming up. And we will see you soon. 